so thankful this morning that as we stand here in your presence, we are worthy because Christ is worthy. We stand in his righteousness, not in our own. We are so grateful that because of the power of Jesus Christ, the same power by which he rose from the grave, the chains of sin can be broken in our lives, that the shame that we are bound with often and reminded of continually by the enemy of our souls must flee. Pray that we might live in the victory of the grace of Jesus Christ that is shown abroad in our hearts. I pray that we might be masterpieces of His grace in this world. We stand before you this morning, Father, as a grateful people because we know that without Him we would be nothing. Thank you for His sacrifice. Thank you for the privilege of being here. We are praying that you would be at work here in this next few moments as we open your word, that we would hear your voice, that we would not hear my voice, but yours, your truth, your power, your wisdom. I pray for my brothers who are doing the same thing in other places in this community right now, sharing the truth of God's word. I pray that you will be at work there. And all of the churches in this state and in this country that this morning will be opening the scripture and proclaiming truth. I pray that you will be at work in mighty ways in many places today for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. For the past several years, researchers in medical institutions across our country have been working on studying the effects of attitude on the human body, physically. And overwhelmingly, it's been determined that gratitude is good for your physical health. Many researchers have determined that in clinical studies, that the practice of gratitude, that is literally giving thanks on a daily basis, can lower your blood pressure, can improve your immunity, and help with your sleep patterns. One university medical center did a study of law students, law students who are under a great deal of pressure. They divided the study group in half, and half of the law students they asked to keep a gratitude journal. And every day they would write at least one thing in their journal that they were thankful for about their lives. And the other half were told not to do that. At the end of the study, the law students who had kept the gratitude journal faithfully had a 25% increase in all of the good hormones and chemicals you need to have in your body, and the ones who didn't had less. The same has been done with teenagers. Teenagers who are grateful for what they have show less stress, improve function in school, better grades. But I'm not telling you anything if you have had a child. 
you know that gratitude and attitude makes a difference, right? Tell me if I'm wrong, parents. It's not just that your kids are doing the right thing, but it's the attitude with which they do it, right? You're asking for a little bit higher standard. There are many things that God calls us to do as Christ followers. But I want to suggest to you this morning that he is asking us for more than just obedience. God is not just asking us to do the right things. He's asking us to do them with gratitude in our hearts. And one of the areas that that shows up more than any is the area of giving. God instructs us to give with grateful hearts. Now, giving is one of those things that everybody thinks when they come to church they're going to hear about. Oh, they're going to talk about my money. They want my money, so I'm going to hear about my money. But I don't know if you knew this or not. In the Bible, there are over 500 verses that talk about prayer. And there are over 600 verses that talk about heaven. But there are over 2,300 verses that talk about money. I wonder why that is. Why did God talk almost five times as much about money as he did about prayer? Well, I think God did that because he knows the hold that money has on us. He knows how all-consuming it can be in our lives. And I want to suggest to you this morning, as we take a few minutes to consider this area of our Christian lives, I want you to consider that as Christ followers, we need to make the decision to be willing givers. Okay, that's the, that's the thought that I want you to have in your mind over the next few minutes. As Christ followers, we need to make a decision to be willing givers. So let's begin our look at giving as God desires it with a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. They're going to be on our screen for you to follow along as I read them. And first of all, we're going to see a reminder from Paul, Paul's reminder in these few, first few verses. Listen as I read them. He says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove to be empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. For I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now, obviously, we jump into this here. There's a little bit of a backstory. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. If we had all kinds of time and we looked through the book of 1 Corinthians, we would find out that that church had some big problems. 
There were a lot of things going on, a lot of sin issues that Paul addressed. And by the way, if you ever want to hear some really frank speaking to people who are struggling, read 1 Corinthians because Paul doesn't pull any punches. He tells them exactly what needs to be done. And what we realize is that between the time that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and that he wrote 2 Corinthians, some of those things happened. Because the message of 2 Corinthians is completely different in tone. They're walking with the Lord. They're being obedient. They've cleaned up a lot of areas of sin in their lives. And one of the things we realize when we read chapter 8, just before what I just read for you, is that they had been very generous. They had been giving to other people, to other churches that were struggling, but for some reason, they had stopped. Whether they'd been doing it for so long and they just decided to take a break or they forgot why they were doing it or what have you, they had been even an example to other churches, but they had stopped giving. It was very important for them as a church that had some resources to give to other churches. Many Christ followers in this culture at this time in the first century were poverty-stricken. They had nothing. And that was for a few reasons. Number one, this was the Roman Empire. For all of you who are up to date on your ancient history, this is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was oppressive, and they taxed the people heavily. And so, not many people had much money. The second reason they were impoverished was that many of them, if you read the book of Acts, had traveled to Jerusalem for some festivals and feasts. And when they were in Jerusalem, they had gotten saved. And there were no churches, no places to worship together back in their hometowns. And so they stayed there. If you read Acts 2 and Acts 4, thousands of people were being saved. And so they stayed there to be with other believers. And the third reason there were so many believers that were impoverished is because when they made the decision to follow Christ, many of them were completely ostracized. Their families forsook them. Their friends turned their backs on them. They were persecuted. Some of them lost their livelihoods and their streams of income. And so they were impoverished. And Paul challenges the people in Corinth To be ready to give, he mentions their preparation. If you were watching as I was reading those verses, the word ready or readiness was mentioned five times in four verses. And he challenges them, and I think us, to be prepared to give. I just want to suggest to you this morning that the best giving is planned, it's intentional, it's consistent. We've thought ahead and we have planned to give, and we've planned to be generous. And he also talks about their motivation there. He says, so that you may be ready to give as a willing gift, not an exaction. A willing gift, that is, you're giving because you want to, not because you feel guilty about it, not because you think you should, or the person next to you is watching, or somebody's going to know if you did or didn't. Paul tells us the only proper giving is willing giving. But why? Why should we do that? And in fact, some of you here this morning may be asking the question, why do we give at all? Why do we do it? Why does God ask us to do it? Let's look at the next verse and see Paul's point. Verse 6 says, the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The point is this. God's blessing is proportional to our giving. Okay? God's blessing is proportional to our giving. Now, he uses the example of a farmer and a gardener. Now, a lot of you know that I'm not really into gardening or growing things. Okay? But I do know some things. Like, I know how it's supposed to work. I just can't make it work myself. But I know how it's supposed to work. And do you know what I never do? I never walk out of my house, turn left, stand on my back lawn, and look out over it and say, where are the potatoes? Why are my carrots not coming up? You know why I never do that? Because I never plant anything in my backyard. Because I know if I don't plant it, I cannot harvest it. Right? Nod your head if you're following me so far. Okay. That's the example that Paul uses here of the farmer. What we plant, we harvest. When we give, God blesses. Notice that what he is also saying is that when we give more, he blesses more. If we give sparingly, he blesses sparingly. If we give bountifully, it says, he blesses bountifully. Now the word bountifully actually means as a blessing. And that, again, speaks to our attitude. It doesn't just mean giving a lot, okay? It doesn't just mean giving a lot. It means giving as a blessing. It means I gave because I wanted to be a blessing to the one I gave to. And when I give to be a blessing, God, in turn, gives to me to be a blessing. I want you to look at the next verse and see our decision. I told you to be thinking about the fact that we need to make the decision to be willing givers. Look at verse 7. Here's our decision. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The key word in this verse, we, we, some of you may have heard this verse before. How many have heard at least part of this verse before? Okay, a lot of you. And I bet the part you've heard is the last part, right? God loves a cheerful giver. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the key word of this verse is not cheerful. <laughs> the key word of this verse is decided. You see, each one must decide, Paul says. You have to make a decision. But it's more than just a decision to give. Because Paul says we should never give 
reluctantly. We should never give because we feel like we're being forced to give. No, if you're going to give, you need to decide. Get this. If you don't get anything else, please remember this. If you're going to give, you need to decide to be satisfied. Okay? You need to decide to be satisfied. Now, in this country that we live in, corporate America depends, relies on us not being satisfied. Yesterday, our last Sunday afternoon, Gavin and I went downstairs into our family room. The one channel we get, providentially, is channel 13, which also shows the Patriots games. And so we decided to go downstairs and watch the Patriots game. Now, it didn't really turn out too well, but that's beside the point. We enjoyed watching the game. And we were watching the game, and a commercial came on. Commercial came on, of all things, for a brand new, high-tech, top-of-the-line beard trimmer. And I know my beard is not very impressive compared to some of our friends here in the audience today, but I try to keep it trimmed. That's the only way that I can have it, is if I keep it taken care of. And my beard trimmer is old, and it's falling apart. And so I watch that commercial, and I watch that guy, and I said... I think I like that beard trimmer. And so I reached in my pocket and I pulled out my phone. And in one click, I was on Amazon. With a couple more clicks, I had it right in front of me. I read a few reviews. With one more click, it was on its way (laughs) to my house. And I got it on Tuesday. And I used it. And it's great. And a few minutes later, as we were watching the football game, another ad came on for WeatherTech floor mats. And I said, man, those look nice. And I reached in my pocket. And I got out my phone. You think I'm dramatizing this for effect, but I am not. And I pulled it out. And I went to WeatherTech.com, and I read some reviews, (laughs) and I punched in 2014 Toyota Camry, and I brought them up, and I said, those would look great in my car. And I clicked to add them to the cart. And the subtotal was $199.99. And I said, I'm satisfied with my floor mats. I do not need these floor mats. And I took them out of my cart, and I put my phone under a pillow, and we watched the rest of the football game. 
I was sitting there and I thought a couple of things as I was going through this whole process. One of the things I thought was, wow, advertising really does work. (laughs) The second thing I realized was, if I decide to be satisfied, I am able to do other things with my money besides just get what I want to get. And every act of giving involves a decision. Yes, a decision at that moment to reach into your pocket, but a decision prior to that that you are satisfied with what you have. Because if you're not satisfied, you won't give. Satisfaction is internal, not external. You can spend your life gathering all kinds of other things to have around you, to use, to enjoy, but you will never have enough. Satisfaction comes from in here, not out there. And it's a choice. It's a learned behavior. I think that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 when he said this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have, listen, I have learned. And whatever situation, I am to be content. And then perhaps one of the most taken out of context verses in the entire Bible, Philippians 4.13. I know you've heard it. You've seen it written on guys' eye black when you're watching football or on guys' sweatbands when they're playing baseball. Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context, Paul is saying... I can be content. I can be satisfied. I can do it with Christ's help. Is it possible to be satisfied in this world? Yes, it is. For one reason, God's grace in verse 8, back in 2 Corinthians 9. Listen to this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's grace is the key to all of this, to this whole thing. Notice that God's grace is how and why we give. Because of God's generous grace to us, we can in turn be generous. God is the source of our sufficiency, and therefore, He is the source of our contentment. I want to just pause here a moment and take a little trip back in our time machine to a few years ago when Gavin was young. 
Gavin's going to help me here for a second. Back when Gavin was young, back when Gavin was little, maybe you could help us. This is what we used to look like when we were together. And we had gone to watch a ball game. And partway through the ball game, Gavin asked if he could have some M&Ms. Of course, he didn't have any money. So I gave him the money, and he went and got the M&Ms. So we're watching the ball game, and he's eating M&Ms. I happen to also be an M&M enthusiast. So I said, hey, Gav, can I have some M&M's? No. And he said, no. And so I said, again, I don't want them all. Can I just, can I just have a few M&M's? No, they're mine. So he proceeded to eat the M&M's while I watched. But you know what? There were some things that Gavin didn't understand in that moment. He didn't understand that they were only his M&Ms because I gave them to him. It was my money that bought them. He also didn't understand that I was strong enough to take the M&M's away from him if I wanted to. Now, bear in mind, we're in the time machine right now. I'm not sure if I'm still strong enough to take him away from him now. But then, yes, I could have if I wanted to, and I really wanted those M&M's, I could have said, I'm taking the M&M's. And there was something else that he didn't understand. He was happy with that little packet of M&M's, but he didn't know that if I wanted to, I could have taken out my debit card and I could have bought 500 packages of M&M's. I could have showered him in M&M's. I could have given him so many M&M's that he wouldn't have known what to do with them. You see where I'm going with this? Thank you, Gavin. You can go enjoy the rest of your (laughs) M&Ms. Guys, listen. But don't we do that with God every day? Mine. Mine. And we don't realize that the only reason why we have what we have is because God gave it to us in the first place. And that if God wanted to, He is powerful enough to take all of it. 
and that if God wanted to, he is also powerful enough to shower us with so much that we wouldn't know what to do with it. But he asks for what? He asks for a portion. He asks for us to give. He asks for us to be generous. He asks for us to hold loosely what he has given to us generously. Friends, listen. As a Christ follower, you need to make the decision to be a willing giver. You need to make the decision to give and you need to make the decision to be satisfied. You need to make the decision to be grateful for what you have and to recognize that it is God who gave it to you. That's why often when Tim and I are standing up here and we're getting ready to pray before the offering, often we say something like what I said this morning. This seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? We need to pay the bills. We need to pay for ministry. We need to do the things that God is asking us to do. We're trying to raise money to buy a building so that we can do more of that. Wouldn't it make more sense for us to pass out the offering plates and say, Give! You've got a lot. Put some of it in the offering plate. But we don't do that. We say the opposite. If you're a guest, don't feel obligated. Don't give because we want you to give. You know why we do that, guys? Because we know that only what is given willingly, only what is given generously, only what is given cheerfully will God take and use and bless for what it is that he's doing in this community. Are you a willing giver? It was Jesus who said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our giving betrays our hearts. You'll give when you realize where what you have comes from. You'll give when your heart is grateful. You'll give when you're satisfied. You'll give when nothing means more to you than Jesus Christ. Are you satisfied? You can be. If you choose to be satisfied and you choose to give, God will care for you. God will bless you. You will be able to say like Paul did, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in that I can be content and I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. If you are not willing to make that decision, if you are not willing to decide to be satisfied with what God has entrusted to you, I just want you to understand that you will never have enough. You'll never have enough. God blesses us with his grace so that we in turn can be a blessing to others. Can you imagine, guys, can you imagine this morning with me just for a moment? What God would do if we all decided to be satisfied? 
and we all made the decision to give willingly, can you imagine what God would do? God has the ability to shower us with so much we can't even begin to imagine what to do with it. All comes down to trust, doesn't it? Do we trust him? Do we trust him to be generous or don't we? Where's your heart today? Father, thank you for these moments that we've had together this morning. These moments to just pause, to step away from all of the busyness and the chaos of our lives. To pause and to reflect on what you have done for us. First and foremost through Jesus Christ in his sacrifice on the cross. His generosity with his own life that we might be yours. And this morning, Father, as we go from this place, I ask that you would challenge us each to examine our hearts, to examine how we hold on to the things that we have, to trust you, to be satisfied with what we have, that in turn we might care for others and be generous in this community that you have placed us. Thank you so much, Lord, for the way that you have provided. We know that you will continue to. And as we go out into this world here today, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our jobs, to our schools. I pray that you would use us as a testimony of your grace to all with whom we come into contact. In Christ's name, amen.